This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is sponsored by ArtBase. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? We think so. Well, ArtBase is the right software to manage your art business. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. You just enter your data once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com now to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Over the past 12 years, the Art Tactic podcast has grown to be a leading art market podcast. Each week we share an exclusive in-depth interview with a key art world insider. As we move into a new phase of programming, we want our broadcast to be listener-supported and create content that you want to hear, not what we think you want to hear. You can support us by visiting contribute.to slash arttactic. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Well, we're really pleased to have you joining us for an annual tradition on the podcast. It's the end of the year episode. If we look back at 2021, COVID really persisted throughout the year, but I would describe it as a resilient year, especially for the art world. We have in-person art fairs again, we're able to travel around the world again to see art, gallery shows are back to having openings, artists can host studio visits, auction houses have let people return to bid in person. I think there's a lot to celebrate about this year. And I want to personally thank each of you for listening and supporting the podcast. We started this podcast in 2009. I remember having to explain to our first several guests what a podcast is. And here we are in 2021, we set a record for the most number of downloads and listens in a year, and it was especially meaningful for me and exciting to meet so many of you at various art fairs and events throughout the year. We're looking forward to an exciting 2022 on the podcast. We can't wait to share some of the guests we have in store. I just want to say thank you so much for supporting us over the years. In this week's episode, our end of the year episode, we're joined by Benjamin Sutton, editor of the Americas of the Art Newspaper. Benjamin helps us reflect on the past year, identifying and dissecting some of the most significant moments, trends, and winners of the year in the art market. We hope you enjoy the episode. We want to wish everyone a happy holidays and a happy new year. See you in 2022. Thanks so much for coming on and joining us for this special end of year episode. My pleasure. Thanks for thanks for having me. There's a lot a lot to cover this year. Definitely. It was a unique year and it was also just nice to see certain aspects of the art world return to normal. So let's just jump right in here. What would you say were some of the biggest moments of the art market in 2021? Oof, uh, where to start? I mean, I, I think the I think the biggest thing has to be NFTs, um, and you know the the sort of poster child of that of that trend has been uh, remains the Beeple sale. Um, his piece every day is uh, the first five thousand days selling for you know sixty nine point four million back in uh, in March at Christie's. Um, I think that really signaled the arrival of NFTs, and um, certainly there was a lot of, of skepticism and head scratching and disbelief in the immediate aftermath of that sale. But I think everything we've seen since uh, has really confirmed that, that that category and that 
form and the buyers and sellers of, of NFTs are going to continue to be a force in the art market. Um, you know, the auction houses have really doubled down on this. Um, you know, Phillips did that project with PAC, um, Larva Labs, CryptoPunks keep coming up for auction. Um, Fuocious had a sale at, uh, at Christie's that did, you know, far, far surpassed expectations. Um, and then you've, you've seen, you know, um, your more sort of traditional artists um, dipping their toes into the NFT space, um, projects by Ernest Fisher and Lucian Smith and others. Um, so I think, you know, I think NFTs really were the, of the big moments this year, I think that was really the, the biggest and most sort of profound change we saw this year. And then as the year wore on and, and, you know, as, as the auction houses got more comfortable dealing with NFTs, then you saw the, the galleries doing the same by the end of the year, you know, our Basel Miami beach had a whole sort of corner of the fair devoted to NFTs. Um, and then really interestingly, I think you saw the kind of uh, the movement in the opposite direction um, with certain NFT collectors gravitating over to kind of more traditional fine art forms. Obviously the, the most um, most conspicuous example of that is um, Justin Sun, who's a, um, a crypto investor uh, who, you know, bought a $20 million Picasso and he bought the... Um, $78 million uh, Giacometti from the Maclo sale. And uh, as far as I understand is putting both of them into a uh, fractional ownership uh, crypto fund. Um, so I don't know, I, I think in so many ways, uh, NFTs and the people who collect them uh, have really just, and the artists who make them have just completely, not completely, but very fundamentally transformed the art market this year. Um, so that's far and away my top my top moment. It's not really a moment, I guess. Well, it was definitely the biggest storyline of 2021. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next year. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll be very curious to see which which of the other galleries um, get into it and how it how it continues to, to evolve. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of um, volatility still in not just the NFT market, but cryptocurrencies in general. And I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens to the crypto uh, to the NFT market, especially as sort of more regulation comes in, um, you know, the U.S. Uh, government's really looking into that now. Um, so I think it'll be interesting once some of those factors that have kept maybe more cautious uh, collectors out of the NFT market are are kind of stabilized. Uh, I'll be very curious to see what kind of influence that that has in the coming year and beyond. And so as we look back on the art market over the past year, who would you identify as some of the biggest winners? I think um, in general, I think the auction houses have sort of come out of the year really strong um, and Sotheby's especially. I think, uh, I think they, have, they seem to have adapted to the moment much better than other sectors of the art market, um, especially galleries and, and fairs. Uh, which are so dependent on sort of a, a brick and mortar interaction. Um, I think we saw we saw this starting last year uh, in 2020. You know, uh, coming out of the immediate sort of lockdown of the pandemic in, in the spring and summer of 2020, um, all three of the major auction houses, Christie's, Sotheby's, and Phillips, organized you know pretty pretty successful, if a little sort of uh, touch and go 
virtual auctions. And I think they've all three have really perfected that formula this year uh, and to, to great success. Um, so I think I would say all three of them have been big winners, but within those, within the three, I think Sotheby's has really done a very impressive job of, of, um, of kind of leading, leading the charge. And you see that in their, uh, you know, the year end um, figures that all, all three auction houses released uh, in the last 10 days or so, um, you know, before going into the pandemic, Christie's was always slightly ahead of Sotheby's and now that, that dynamic is kind of reversed. And I think um, Sotheby's really has done a, a, a pretty impressive job of, of really kind of nailing that sort of TV studio uh, evening sale presentation. Um, you know, they obviously got a couple of, of really major consignments as well, uh, most notably the, the Maclow collection um, that they started selling in, in November. So yeah, I think, I think Sotheby's is definitely kind of the big winner, but the auction category as a whole um, has really kind of pivoted uh, impressively this year, I would say. Um, the other big winner, I, I think, uh, and this is maybe not to not to keep harping on NFTs, but I think, you know, early NFT collectors, the folks who really jumped in uh, with both feet at the, at the start, um, I think are, are really in an incredible position right now. Um, and, I, you know, not only financially, but obviously, um, the sort of bragging rights of being able to say that you were in on the ground floor uh, is not not nothing, especially in uh, you know a, a very kind of social um, uh, kind of subculture. Um, yeah, so I, th- I I don't know. I, I was interviewing um, a collector uh, a few months ago, Pablo Rodriguez Frail, who is a, a big um, a big NFT collector. He has you know a lot of people pieces by Beeple and Refik and Adol and, uh, you know, a number of the other kind of artists who've really um, staked a claim to the NFT market at the, the, the top level. Um, and, you know, I was talking to him about uh, this Beeple piece that he acquired uh, in, in October of 2020, um, this piece called Crossroad. And he, at the time, spent what seemed like a somewhat ridiculous amount of money on it, which is, um, you know, the, the Ethereum equivalent of $67,000. Um, and, you know, four months later, sold it for $6.6 million or the equivalent of $6.6 million. So I, I think there's a lot, um, you know, if, you, if you're willing to sort of track all the blockchain transactions, there's a lot of big wins for, for people like Pablo who were really... Um, really game to get into the NFT market early on and who really believe it. You know, I don't, I think a lot of them are not, not, not necessarily selling everything they have. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of those early collectors who are really passionate about the form. Um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how that type of collecting and that attitude toward collecting NFTs evolves um, in the coming years. Yeah. That's a pretty spectacular return on investment there. Yeah. And so if we transition to the actual art being made over the past year, what trends in art would you say define 2021? Yeah, I think uh, as I was sort of stepping back and looking at the year, I think there were three major trends that, that I sort of could, could see. Um, I think actually one, interestingly, um, is almost kind of in reaction to the NFT uh, moment, uh, which is this, this kind of renewed appreciation. And I, I think this probably actually started before NFTs and has more to do with, um, with the lockdown in 2020 to some extent and people sort of wanting 
tactile things around them in their home while they're experiencing life uh, primarily through a screen. Um, but I think there, there really has been this kind of embrace of um, sort of textural, tactile works, um, you know, art that is, um, you know, for lack of a better term, employing sort of craft materials and techniques um, or sort of harkening back to movements like post-minimalism or the pattern decoration movement. Um, I feel like I've seen a lot of that type of work this year, um, you know, for, for instance, um, there was actually a, a fantastic solo booth of um, pattern decoration artist Tina Girard's work, um, these incredible beaded tapestries at our Basel Miami Beach, this really like stunning um, solo booth with uh, Annette Hebke Gallery from, uh, from LA. Um, but I think you're seeing like sort of across the board, there's a lot of, um, a lot of renewed attention for textile artists. Um, Fridman Gallery here in, in New York had a really spectacular show of Dingda McCannon's work, um, her first solo show um, at a commercial gallery ever. Um, she's in her um, 60s or 70s, I believe. Um, and then they also had a solo booth of her work at, in, in Miami Beach. Um, so it was really just like powerful, figurative, textile-based um, very imaginative, but also sort of rooted in portraiture work. Um, you know, there's an upcoming Faith Ringgold retrospective at the New Museum. Um, there's just, I, I feel like between sort of textile and ceramics, um, and then also the very kind of like worked layered paints, there's just a lot of, um, a lot of tactile and very kind of vibrant textural work. Um, I mean, I, I, I could go on, you know, there's, um, the weaver Diedrich Brackens um, has, has really had a standout year, as has um, Billy Zangewa, the, the South African textile artist. Um, the American ceramics artist um, Khalil Robert Irving has this really sort of fantastic suite of ceramic works right at um, one of the main kind of entrances to the new museum triennial. It's really intricate works um, where he kind of like transfers photos onto ceramics, but then also incorporates found objects. They're just they're out of, out of this world. Um, so I think I think that's that's kind of maybe the the big overarching uh, trend that I've been most aware of this year. I think the other two, <clears throat> which are maybe not specific to 2021 so much, um, but I really do think you know the the trend of figurative painting and specifically figurative painting artists of color um, has really not shown any signs of slowing. Um, you know, I think if from every kind of contemporary evening auction to every major fair, it's it's sort of uh, just as unavoidable as as it has been um, this year. Um, and you know, it, there's certainly no no sign of of kind of collector appetite um, drying up for that work either. Um, you know, like I, I think the um, the British Nigerian artist Joy Labincho has had kind of both on the primary and secondary market just an incredible year um, with her you know auction record broken multiple times and um, really fantastic uh, solo booth at uh, I believe it was the Armory show that sold out very quickly with Tawani Contemporary um, the New York based um, British artist Tunji Adeni Jones um, has similarly had. Uh, both on the primary and secondary markets, just a, a really phenomenal year with sort of incredibly beautiful uh, sort of Matissean 
figures and kind of floral settings. Um, obviously, the, the Ghanaian painter uh, Otis Kwame Kaikweko, um, who had a residency at the Rebel Museum. Um, you know, I, there's again, I, I feel like I could go on. You know, there's um, Dominic Chambers has really had a, a stunning year. Uh, Arkhamanaro Niles joined up with the uh, Leon Maupin Gallery. Um, earlier this year, Jamie Holmes has had his auction record broken multiple times over. So, so I think that trend, which which really started to kind of gain steam in, in like 2019 and into 2020, um, is is really uh, still going strong. Um, and then I guess the, the third one, which to me is kind of almost in opposition to the figurative painting trend, is a, a kind of slow but palpable um, kind of reappreciation of abstraction, which I, I quite like. I mean, I, I definitely think I, my taste trends more towards figuration, but it's nice to have a bit of a balance in the market, which has been so uh, figuration obsessed for the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's some really, uh, really fantastic artists who work in abstraction have had a, a pretty phenomenal year. Um, you know, the, the British painter Jade Thadojutimi, uh, I think is, is kind of like the, the obvious um, sensation in this category. You know, I, I feel like uh, in the fall auction season, her, her auction record was being broken sort of every other day, um, but her kind of really beautiful, large scale gestural abstraction um, is really, uh, sort of really stands out in, a, in an evening auction where every other work is, is a portrait. Um, so yeah, I think I think her work has, has been kind of a, at the forefront of that that wave of renewed appreciation for abstraction. But then there's also you know there's artists like Adam Pendleton who's been doing um, you know text based work for years and had a really really big uh, installation in the atrium at MoMA this year. Um, the American artist Alterante Gumby has been getting a lot of attention with these really just beautiful kind of like almost light and space works that uh, that incorporate glass um, and are just just sort of sublime. Um, yeah, I, again, I, I could go on, but I, I think that there's there's an interesting kind of reevaluation maybe of abstraction after, after many years of a kind of single-minded focus on figuration, which I think is, is interesting and, and maybe even healthy. Yeah, I agree completely. I think you did a great job identifying some of the key trends in terms of art being made in 2021. And it is nice to see some more abstract art being made in the last year. It's refreshing. I think figurative art's becoming a little bit saturated and people are ready for some variety. So if we shift to exhibitions and shows over the last year, what were a few of your favorite exhibitions? Sure. Um, yeah, I have, I mean, I have a, a long running list that I, that I keep throughout the year, but I've, tr I've tried to whittle it down to, to five that, I, yeah, that really stick out in my mind. Um, the first of which uh, was this um, this really fantastic exhibition at Pace, actually. In, um, I think it was like late late winter, early spring. Um, Zanelli Mahali curated uh, an exhibition of David Goldblatt photographs. Um, so it was a really just like, I mean, David Goldblatt's work is is fantastic, and as is Zanelli Mahali's. And interestingly, he David Goldblatt was a mentor and, and friend of, of Zanelli Mahali's. Um, so they, you know, had a, they had a dialogue before, before he passed away and it really comes, came across on the show. Um, so the show is called Strange Instrument. Um, and it was just, 
you you could just tell that Zanelli Maholi had sort of spent so much time with um, with Goldblatt's work, and it was a very um, not pared down exactly, but it wasn't it wasn't a kind of you know David Goldblatt has a huge body of work documenting you know South Africa post or you know during and post apartheid, and it was. Um, and there was a, you know, there was a fantastic retrospective of him at the New Museum in 2009, I think. But this show was like very pared down and it was very um, sort of like you could you could get the sense almost that Zanelli Mahali was making these very kind of like intuitive connections, um, really grouping the work thematically. Um, and, and it was just like a beautifully hung and, and beautifully organized exhibition. And it really painted this kind of, um, it, it offered this very, Kind of lived in snapshot of of life uh, in South Africa under apartheid, and it was really um, that was a really stunning exhibition. Um, so that that's definitely a highlight. Um, another one for me was um, the shed in in also in New York um, had a, a I guess I don't know if it was technically a retrospective or a survey, but a, a, a major and and very overdue Howard Unipindel exhibition, Rope Fire Water. Um, which I'm cheating a little because this opened in, in late 2020, but continued into to March 2021. So um, this is was definitely a highlight of my of my year. Um, you know, Howardina Pindell is, is best known for these kind of large scale works on um, on kind of unstretched and often shaped uh, canvas that incorporate glitter and collage elements and um, sort of hole punch paper. Um, little circles of, of colorful paper and had this real sort of like, uh, you know, talk about textural work. They're just very, you can kind of get lost in the details, but then they'll also have these very, um, very intense and very poignant um, collage elements that come in and, and really, you know, are often addressing issues of race and gender and exclusion. And um, they're very kind of like uh, very powerful contrast between this sort of lyrical um, abstraction and this very, uh, very intense figurative uh, content. And this show was sort of the epitome of that. And, you know, there was all these really beautiful works of hers, um, very, like a lot of the abstract uh, hole punched and glittered works. And then um, three new pieces, including two new sort of wall-based installations that were just like kind of a gut punch, um, really addressing very bluntly um, episodes of, of racist violence in the US. And it was just like a, <laughs> it was sort of like being, uh, yeah, you just turned the corner and had the, your breath kind of knocked out of you. It was really um, a really powerful show. So that was, um, that was definitely a highlight for me. Um, another, was uh, the uh, El Museo del Barrio um, has a triennial exhibition uh, that should have happened last year, but obviously was um, was postponed to this year. Um, Estamos Bien was the title, and you know, we're good. And um, it was it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it it you know it's a triennial with more than forty artists um, from kind of across the U.S. and and Puerto Rico, uh, and so you know, understandably, kind of uneven, but. Um, the the 
the share of work that was really kind of surprising and powerful and outstanding was really, um, really stunning. Um, so that was, that was absolutely one of my favorites. Um, you know, they had um, ceramic works by Roberto Lugo, who makes these really um, kind of politically apt, uh, often sort of vases that incorporate portraiture in the glazing um, that, that are really stunning, I think. Um, and there were also a bunch of artists who I had, hadn't really known prior to the show. So it was also a, a really great occasion to, to discover new work by new, by new artists. Um, uh, this artist, uh, Victoria Gitman, for instance, makes these like, incredible little um, trompe paintings of, of sequins. And, uh, you know, I, I swear, I think there were two of them in the show. I, I could have sworn that they were actual sequins when I walked up to the, the painting. It was just, it was so, um, so incredibly effective. Um, this artist, um, uh, Eddie R. Uh, Aparicio uh, makes these incredible mixed media kind of, uh, I guess, I don't know if you'd call them tapestries exactly, but they, they're, they're sort of textile-like, although often incorporate um, leather, um, mixed media hangings. Um, and the one, the one in the El Museo Triennial was, um, had kind of pieces of broken bottles attached to it. And it was just like incredibly delicate, but also incredibly um, kind of violent piece. And it was really, um, you, you had to sort of like move, move around it to, to see every side of it. And it was really um, very powerful. Um, but again, th there's just uh, a lot of really strong work. There was this really powerful uh, mural by Carolina Caicedo commemorating um, activists who were killed um, in a struggle for environmental justice, primarily in, uh, in Latin America. That was really quite moving. Um, there's this insane and very uh, kind of very on the nose um, digital video and, and kind of wallpaper installation by Michael Menchaca. Um, really sort of speaking to the, the political divisiveness of our times and how we experience everything through our phones. Um, that was really kind of delightful and, and terrifying at the same time. So just uh, a lot of really great work uh, in, in the El Museo Triennial this year. Um, and then, yeah, another, another one was um, the Leslie Lohman Museum in, in Soho in, in Manhattan um, had a... Uh, a retrospective of uh, Laura Aguilar, um, who died a few years ago, but um, who, who made sort of really brave and powerful photo and video work. Um, and, it, and this exhibition, um, which, is just, which was titled um, Show and Tell, uh, was really phenomenal and just very, um, very bracing. You kind of, you got a really great sense of her evolution from making this like somewhat politically overt work kind of, you know, incorporating the U.S. flag and making these very kind of um, blunt statements about, about the state of, of the culture. Um, kind of earlier in her career to making this very kind of introspective, almost diaristic, but very um, raw work about her, her own life and her own identity um, as a Latino woman, but as um, also a, a queer person and um, and really sort of struggling with the, the kind of weight of, of those identities. Um, and that was just like a, a really 
stunning exhibition. And, and it was also one of those exhibitions. I feel like I have this feeling a few, a few times a year where I see a, a show at a smaller museum and think to myself, like, why, why hasn't the Whitney or MoMA done, done the sort of full scale version of this? Cause this really merits it. And I think Laura Aguilar is, is absolutely in that category. Um, and the last show I'll mention is, um, and this is sort of um, by, by happenstance almost that, that this happened, but um, uh, I was on vacation with my partner in New Mexico uh, at the end of the summer in August, and uh, and we visited the uh, Museum of International Folk Art in Santa Fe, which is first of all just a, a fantastic museum. Um, if you're ever in New Mexico, I highly recommend. Um, but one of their temporary exhibitions was a show called um, "From Combat to Carpet: The Art of Afghan War Rugs." And we happened to be there, you know, about 10 days after, um, after the Taliban took over uh, Afghanistan again. Um, and so it was just like the, the sort of climate of the moment was kind of added to the, the intensity of the show, but it was just a phenomenal exhibition of these Afghan war rugs, which are rugs, some of which are actually, were actually made to sell to, to U.S. soldiers stationed in Afghanistan, but also, um, you know, for, for, for Afghanis. Um, and they're these kind of figurative versions of, of kind of ornate uh, Afghan rugs um, with things like tanks and helicopters and machine guns. And some of them uh, are maps of, of the U.S. or, you know, Dating back to the Soviet invasion, there's I, I, there was one that was kind of a map of, of Afghanistan and, and the Soviet Union, and um, there was one depicting 9/11. There's just these incredibly um, intense and kind of all the more intense because they're in a sense domestic objects. Um, just these really beautiful figurative rugs, but that you can also kind of almost can't imagine living with one, but they are just very powerful. And to see them in the context of, um, of Afghanistan falling back to the Taliban was really um, okay, gr grim in a way, um, or all the more grim because you could sort of see the history repeating itself. Um, yeah. So those, those are my five kind of top, top shows, but I'll, um, I'll be spending the next 10 days or so thinking a little more about uh, filling out my top 10 for, for 2021. Yeah, thanks for sharing your most memorable exhibitions. It was very diverse. And reflecting back on 2021, I think it's great that everyone had an opportunity to see art again in person. I think COVID really reminded us just what a vast difference it is between consuming art on our phones versus experiencing it in real life. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, probably all of us had some version of the experience of, of finally going back to a museum mm -hmm. for the first time in like, you know, maybe late 2020 or early 2021. And just sort of having that kind of like transcendental, like, ah, right. Like art in person. This is, this is the thing I've been missing. Um, exactly. Yeah. So lastly, before we let you go, it's a tradition here on the podcast during this end of the year episode that we end it with asking our guests for a bold prediction for the upcoming year. So if you could, please indulge us and share a bold prediction for the art market in 2022. We won't hold it against you if it doesn't come true, but what do you got for us? Well, thank you. That's, that's charitable of you. Um, <laughs> I, 
I actually I have two. One of which is maybe less um, less risky than the other. So I figured yeah, I, I, would, I would hedge my bets by, by <laughs> going with one that seems somewhat more secure. Um, my my low my low risk prediction then is um, is that auction houses, galleries, and artists are gonna are really gonna dive into the metaverse. Um, you know, I, I think we're already seeing this, so it's not um, maybe not the most um, kind of controversial prediction. Um, but, you know, given the speed with which um, artists and galleries and auction houses um, last year went from kind of dismissing NFTs uh, to embracing them, um, I think I think the metaverse as kind of this space that, A, just has like this huge online built-in community and audience and B, can serve as a kind of platform for showcasing NFTs in a kind of less awkward um, context than how they have tend to be, tended to be presented so far, which is on sort of, you know, fancy Samsung screens in, in galleries and, and fair booths, which is, which is fine, but it, you know, it, it sort of um, never quite seems ideal. Um, but I think, I, I think we're going to see a lot, a lot more artists and, and art market players uh, kind of testing out what they can do in the metaverse. And we're starting to see that a little bit, you know, um, Sotheby's already created uh, its own kind of metaverse platform for showing digital art. Um, starting to see a couple of, of artist projects embracing the metaverse. Um, like uh, Stan Douglas, the photographer has done a project with the Toledo Art Museum that kind of like takes one of his videos and turns it into a, a kind of like immersive narrative in a, in a metaverse space. So I, I think we're starting to see the beginnings of that. Um, but I think, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of see that take off uh, in 2022. And, and to what extent, um, you know, as with NFTs, we start to see kind of non-digital artists um, testing out that, that space. Um, so that's, that, I mean, you know, we'll see where we are a year from now and maybe what felt like a conservative prediction will actually turn out to have been very wrong, but um, that's, that seems very within the realm of possibility to me. Um, but in case that's not bold enough, uh, my other, my other prediction is that, um, that we're going to see some sort of crossover between the, uh, the art market and the, um, the space tourism industry. I feel like, um, these two worlds, um, you know, literally and figuratively took off, uh, you said the space tourism industry. Yes. Yeah. I love this. Okay. Yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. Extrapolate on this. this is great. This is more bold. I like it. Yeah, well, you know, I think the art market and uh, and the space tourism industry were really bolstered this year um, by just the amount of wealth that was that was created for the the wealthiest in the world uh, over the past year and a half, and you know they're they're looking for ways to spend spend their money, and and I think um, space tourism is really the kind of epitome of a kind of experiential purchase. Um, Whereas blue chip art is kind of the ultimate uh, kind of like status and, and to some extent kind of investment or, or asset purchase, um, but I think I think because both markets are are kind of chasing after a similar class of of the of you know ultra high net worth individuals, I just I feel like there's got to be some kind of crossover in the coming year. I, yeah, we almost got it with. Um, Yasuku Mazewa, 
um, the, the Japanese collector who bought the $110 million Basquiat, who, you know, had initially pledged that he was going to bring, um, bring artists with him to, to the moon aboard a SpaceX rocket. Um, that hasn't happened, but he did, he did go to the International Space Station um, earlier this month, actually, aboard a, a Russian uh, rocket with his, uh, with his business partner. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we didn't, we didn't quite get the, the art space tourism crossover yet there, but I, I do think it's going to happen. I don't know in what form it'll be. You know, I, I could see a world where, um, you know, especially as, as Sotheby's and Christie's have kind of been experimenting with dropping somewhat incongruous lots into the middle of a major, you know, evening art sale. Maybe we'll see, uh, you know, uh, a SpaceX or Blue Origin trip auctioned off in the middle of, a, of, an, of an evening sale. Um, you know, maybe maybe one of the auction houses will will send one of their uh, you know top auctioneers up into space to 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 run a sale from the International Space Station. Again, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Maybe maybe Elon Musk will, will spend some of his Tesla money to uh, to buy a major stake in Sotheby's if they go public next year. There's any number of of crossovers, um, but I think I think something is going to happen in that uh, in that space. Well, I love this prediction, and uh, we're yeah, we're de- we're gonna have to see uh, if this bold one comes true. But yeah, I, I like your uh, I like your creativity with coming up with some of those ideas. Um, and uh, yeah, so Ben, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and really helping us recap 2021. It was a very eventful year, and a lot of interesting trends emerged from it. Uh, if our listeners want to follow you on social and see any of your writings in the art newspaper, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, well, the, the best place to find my writing is, is yeah, theartnewspaper.com. Uh, on Twitter, I'm B.H. Sutton. Uh, and on Instagram, I'm It's Ben Sutton. Um, so, yeah, those are the best places to follow me. Perfect. Ben, thanks so much for coming on. Have a great holiday season and new year, and uh, we'll speak to you in 2022. Thanks, Adam. You too. And, and really, it was a real pleasure to come on and, and, and look back at the year. So thanks. Thanks again. We want to thank ArtBase for sponsoring this week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist, studio, or gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, ArtBase is the right software to manage your art business. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. All you do is enter your data once, and you use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and a bunch more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used in the cloud from any location on any device. So go to artbase.com now to learn more, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount.